0: So, is there anything God can't do? I was asked this question when I was in the 8th grade. I still remember where I was standing. This is a very bizarre thing that I actually remember this. Um, And I thought to myself, no, there's nothing that God can't do. And then the response was, well, can God pick up a rock so big or can God create a rock so big that he can't pick it up? And I thought, that's a really stupid question. And then the follow-up came: Can God square a circle? Can God make two plus two equal five? Um, you may be surprised to know that uh, philosophers sit around and think about this stuff. Um, but a philosopher will tell you that God does not engage, a Christian philosopher anyway, will tell you that God does not engage in nonsensical tasks, right? He does not engage in logically impossible tasks or pseudo-task or fake task, as uh, your philosopher might call it. Um, but apart from the nonsensical, does God have limitations on what He can do? Can you think of any? Blessing knows one. Um, sorry, Rohan, I forgot. Uh, I'll just read the text as I, as I exposit it. Is, uh, is there some constraint that God has? Yes. His character is, is a constraint, right? God is holy, right? God cannot do anything contrary to His character, contrary to His holiness and His righteousness and His justice, right? Are you following me here? His constraint would be that He is a perfect being. Therefore, He can do only that which is perfect. Okay? It's important for us to understand that. As one theologian said, to be unable to do wrong is perfect omnipotence. And God is perfect in that regard. So if God cannot act contrary to His holiness and His justice and His righteousness, where does that leave you and me? We've been talking about the last few weeks about our insurmountable problem, which is what? What is our insurmountable problem as men and women, as human beings? God is holy, and oh, guess what? You're not, right? So this is a big deal. This is a huge problem for mankind. Last week we noted that Science doesn't have an answer. Education doesn't have an answer. Philosophy, morality, good works, or religion. No one has an answer for this problem. God is holy and you're not. No one apart from the biblical God. And if God is constrained by His holiness and His justice and His righteousness, how could He ever save you? Right? How could He ever save you? This sounds like one of those logically impossible things. How could He do it? He would be constrained by His holiness. He must judge you, right? He must do it. If He's a just judge, He must do it. He's constrained, again, by His character. How can a holy God forgive you? How can a just God not give you justice? Do you want justice from God? Raise your hand if you want justice from God. Nobody in this room wants justice from God. You know what happens if you get justice? You spend eternity in hell. That's what happens if you get justice. You and I and every other human being on the planet, we must have grace. But how can a righteous God enter into a relationship with one who is unrighteous? Well, we've been going through the Gospel of John. And of course, God has a solution, right? He has a solution. It's what the Gospel is all about. It's the scandal of the cosmos, right? It's a scandal to angels and men and demons and devils that the Son of God would be incarnate and the Son of God would be nailed to a tree and the Son of God would bleed out and the Son of God would perish for your sins. It's a scandal, right? You've heard me say it to you many times. God never offered to save you to the angels the rebellious angels, the fallen angels. He never offered them a Savior. He just judged them. It's what He should have done to you and me. But God offers grace and mercy. It's the Gospel, beloved. You guys know Romans 3.26. God is just and the justifier. How can God be just and the justifier? How is it possible that He could be just and justify you, right? You! Miserable, stinky, sorry, you! I include myself here, okay? It's the miracle. It's the miracle of the Gospel. How can He be both just and the justifier of the unjust? Paul says it well in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He the Father made Him the Son who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. I'm going to read to you from the Message Bible. It's a paraphrase. It's not the Word of God, but it's a paraphrase of the Word of God. I like the way Eugene Peterson says a few things here, so I'm going to read to you from that famous chapter, Isaiah 53. Just a couple of verses. The fact is... It was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. It was our sins that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We've all done our own thing, caught our own, pardon me, gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong on Christ. Through what He experienced, He will make many righteous ones as He Himself carries the burden of our sin. He is just and the justifier. This is how He does it. He gives Himself away for the salvation of His people. No man would have ever thought of this. (laughs) No man would have ever said, Hey, I've got an insurmountable problem. Why don't you take on flesh, come here and be crucified for my sins? I'm not sure of any man who would ever have thought of this, but God, in His great mercy, has decided to save a people for the glory of His name. Beloved, this is the most awesome thing that has ever fallen on the ears of mankind. And some of you act like it's business as usual. I'm just being honest with you. Some of you act like this is really no big deal. It's a big deal! Every day it's a big deal that God is just and the justifier. It's a big deal every day. Every day. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. I hope you feel the weight of it. He shouldn't have saved you. He shouldn't. He should have just judged you. He shouldn't have saved me. But he did. He did. He did that which looked impossible, right? Is there anything God can't do? Well, we know he knows how to save his people. And this is why forgiven sinners will never, and when I say never, I mean for a billion eternities, never grow weary of praising God. This is a breathtaking thing. And I hope we're all guilty of allowing it to become kind of mundane and small and Muzak background. But my challenge to you tonight is don't let it be that. Don't ever fail to worship that God has done this amazing thing in your behalf. It was unwarranted. It was unreasonable. It was unnecessary. It was uncalled for. God was under no constraint to save you. You know, people walk around in the world acting like God owes them something. Well, what does God say in the Bible? I don't owe you anything. You owe me. Right? This is basically what God said. He says a little nicer than I do. You know, it's just this arrogance in the world, right? Instead of this humility that I think is called for when we understand our sin before Him. God's Son was God's solution to the holy, He's holy and we're not problem. And here's what I want you to always remember and never forget what God's holiness requires, God's love has provided. This is an amazing gospel. It is an amazing Gospel. He is just and the justifier. Anybody know how that that verse ends? He is just and justifier of the One who has what? Faith. That's what we've been talking about in the Gospel of John. Do you have faith? I'm talking about biblical faith. I'm not talking about denominational faith. I'm talking about saving faith. Biblical faith. Jesus Christ is the answer to our insurmountable problems. Yes, He is God. He can do all things. He is omnipotent, except as philosophers remind us, not the logically impossible or absurd things. And as theologians remind us, not contrary to His character. But there's one other thing that Jesus Christ cannot do. He cannot save anyone who is unwilling to repent, to believe, and to follow Him. The man or woman who is determined to die in their sins. Now, Jesus is going to say this three times in about ten verses tonight. He's telling these, the, the most religious men who've ever walked the planet, you will die in your sins. Now, I know that's not a pleasant message. <laughs> this is, this is the, the, the Son of God talking, you will die in your sins. He says it three times to very religious men. So... He cannot save the man or the woman who is unwilling to repent. This would be logically impossible. It is absurd. It is contrary to God's character and to what God has said in the Bible. It's biblically, theologically, and uh, spiritually absurd. Jesus cannot save the man who is unwilling to come to Him. He cannot save the woman who is unwilling to come to Him. God has set the conditions and parameters of salvation. It's in His Word, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, By grace, through faith, you are saved. We understand, on the one hand, it's the sovereign grace of God. You know, that's about a thousand sermons. And, And over here, on the other hand, it's you receiving the sovereign grace of God by faith. another thousand sermons so we have the sovereignty of God and the salvation of the people and we have the responsibility of man in responding to uh, God's overtures right both of these things are true sovereignty and responsibility both of these things are true in the Bible and men want to reconcile them and it's the doctoral thesis that's never been written and we know what the Apostle Paul says right Liana because she read it to us from Romans chapter 9 Thursday night what does Paul say well who can resist His will? And what does Paul say? Who are you to question God? Who do you think you are, oh man, that you would question God? You know, we've been talking a lot about having some humility before God, right? I think if we spend any time in the Word and we get some sense of His greatness, we would obviously understand that we need to be humble before Him. So, if, if God has done the miracle in us, then we must work out what God has worked in. This is what real Christians do. Born-again Christians work out what God has worked in. Okay? So, this is in a nutshell what the Bible talks about with respect to salvation. So, we talked a little bit last week, and I'm going to get into the text in a minute. The verb thing, right? When Jesus talks about believing it's, it's, uh, and faith, it's, it's, it's what? It's, it's what we... It's not simply what we believe. It is what we believe. But if it's real, what? It spills out in the life, right? This is one thing we've seen. Jesus says, I'm the bread. What are you got to do with the bread? What? Tell me. What do you got to do with the bread? You got to eat the bread. He says, I'm the living water. What do you got to do with the water? You got to what? You got to drink it. He says, I am the light of the world. What do you got to do with the light? You got to follow the light. It's always a verb, right? It's always a verb with Jesus. Follow me. Come. Follow me. Come. Follow me. Come. It's just this, this course throughout the Gospels. Yeah. This is what we've been seeing. C.S. Lewis says a profound thing. He says, A profession of faith without spiritual fruit is a largely imaginary conversion. Amen. So last week Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who what? follows me shall have the light of life he who follows me he doesn't say he who joins a church or he who gets baptized or he who prays a magic prayer he doesn't say that he says he who follows me and so the question for you and I always is am I following Christ is that my priority is he my priority or is he like like fourth or fifth after you know down here somewhere with my leisure time is god my priority it's a fair question i think for any of us so jesus cannot save you if you are unwilling to come to him if you are unwilling to eat if you are unwilling to drink if you are unwilling to follow him If you are determined to die in your sins, you will. We've been seeing this in the last since chapter 5. Jesus told them, you are unwilling to come to me that you might have life. If you come, I'll give it to you. Right? Any man who dies the second death will have done so consciously and with premeditation. It's not, we talked about this all, it's not that men don't know, it's that men do know. you got to know Romans 1, 2, and 3. you got to know it. Men know. They know. You know, belief is not an intellectual issue. What is it? If we know the Bible, what is it? It's always a moral issue. <laughs> you always reject God on moral grounds because I simply don't want to have a God over me it's really not an intellectual issue at all. It's always a moral issue. So tonight, Jesus will say to these religious men three times, you will die in your sins. So we see here four traits. Okay, Four traits of men determined to die in their sins. One, we'll see is that they choose to be self-righteous. Two, they choose to be worldly. Three, they choose to be unbelieving. And four, they choose to be willfully Ignorant. I'm going to set the stage for you. As you may recall from last week, Jesus is in the the temple of the women. He's just said, I am the light of the world. And as always, the Pharisees are sparring with him. Uh, We will begin to notice something here in chapter 8. Jesus begins to move away from merely making claims about himself. And his deity to issuing warnings to all who will reject him. And he says it, like I said, three times tonight, you will die in your sins. If you reject me, you will die in your sins. This is the words of Jesus Christ. Verse 21, verse 21 of John 8. I hope you have your Bible or electronic device where you can follow along. He said, therefore, again to them, I will go away and you shall seek Me and you shall die in your sin where I am going. You cannot come. Jesus, We heard Jesus say basically the same thing over in chapter 7, verse 33 and 34. He's saying that after His death, resurrection, and ascension, as He returns to the Father, He's saying because you're rejecting Me, you will die in your sins and you cannot come where I am going. You cannot come. Because I will be with the Father. Your insurmountable problem that God is holy and you're not will follow you into death and will lay on you forever. Okay? Apart from me, you will take that problem into eternity and it will never be resolved. He's saying, you will stand before an unapproachably holy God And every sin you've ever committed will be laid bare. Uh, I did a short calculation here. Let's just say you sin once a day. I bet some of you may sin more than that. You know, in thought, in attitude, in desire. But let's just say one a day, which I think is pretty conservative for most of us. Now maybe you're just, you know, You're awesome. I don't know. I know that I'm not. Let's say you get your 82 years. You have sinned 30,000 times against a perfectly holy God. One sin plunged the whole world into judgment. You're guilty of 30,000, give or take. Do you feel the weight of it? Do you feel the weight of it? Jesus is saying, you can't come where I am. Without Me, you can't come where... I'm I'm going to be with the Father. I'm going to be in heaven. You're going to be in hell. This is what He's saying. This is what Jesus is saying. You guys know... Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. Nobody escapes the judgment. Nobody escapes the judgment except those who are in Christ Jesus. Piper says this, famous preacher in the States, John Piper, all moral accounts in the universe will be settled either on the cross or in hell. This is just a biblical reality. Now you say, Jim, I don't like the way that sounds. I say, well, okay, well, maybe you're not a Bible believer. Maybe you have your own gospel. You know? Well, go start your own church. (laughs) You know, if you've got your own gospel. But we preach the biblical gospel here, right? The one that Jesus preaches, right? The one that God has given to us. So, as I often like to remind people, it doesn't really matter if I like it or you like it. What matters is it true? Did God say it? That's what matters, okay? These are the red words. Jesus is saying these things. And we need to give heed. God says in Hosea 7, 7, they do not consider in their hearts. I remember every one of their sins. I remember every one. But what does he say about the believer? What does he say about the believer? What does God do with the sins of the believer? I won't give you all the passages. If you want them, I'll send them to you, right? I'm not going to give you just for the sake of time, right? Uh, as far as the east is from the west, He removes our sin from us. He treads our sins underfoot. He casts our sins into the depths of the sea. Though our sin, our sin is scarlet, he, he says it will be white as snow. He will cast our sin behind His back. He will wipe out your sin. He will remember your sin no more. This is what the Savior does. You have an insurmountable problem. You're probably going to have to stand before God with... You know, thirty thousand sins. Unless you come to Christ. Jesus says you will die in your sins. Say, Jim, quit saying that. I don't like it when you say that. I listen (laughs) Don't you love it that Christ, you know, He loves us enough to be honest with us? He loves us enough to warn us? I think it's a beautiful thing that He does. Where I'm going, you cannot come. You guys remember the Luke 16 parable, right? The rich man in hell and Lazarus in in Abraham's bosom. And the the rich man in hell said, You know, send Lazarus down with some water because I need need some relief here. Do you remember what Jesus says in that uh, parable? He says, There is a chasm that is fixed, no one can cross over. It's what Jesus is saying. He's saying to these men, you're on your way to hell, and you cannot go where I'm going. Okay? This is what the Lord Jesus is saying. If you are unwilling to believe, you cannot go where I am going. So the first trait of a man determined to die in his sins is that of self-righteousness. Let me read verse 22. Therefore the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he, since he says, where I'm going you cannot come. You say, Jim, how is that self-righteousness? Well, why are they saying this to him? Where does it come from? The Jews believe that someone who committed suicide was sent to the darkest part of hell. This is what they're saying to him. Well, you must be thinking about suicide because, you know, then for sure you're going to go to hell. That's the only place you could go that we couldn't come because we know God loves us because we're so good and we're so religious and we do our, our, our ceremonies and our sacraments. And I was just down at the temple you know, earlier this morning and, and I, I tithed my, my, my mint and my deal and my cumin. I'm a perfect Jew. Of course I'm not going to hell. I'm a Pharisee. I do the law. I keep the law. These men are greatly offended. <laughs> as we've been seeing the last several weeks, at how Jesus is in their face okay, with reality. So this is a mocking kind of thing. They're mocking Jesus. They're saying, the only place you could go that we can't come is, is hell. So you must be thinking about killing yourself because that's where any suicide would go. So yes, Jesus will die. Yes, it will be voluntary. It will not be a suicide. It will be a homicide. And He's going where they cannot follow. Jesus cannot save the self-righteous. That's biblically absurd. That's logically impossible. That's contrary to His character and His Word. It's biblically, theologically, and spiritually absurd. These men will not place their faith in Him. They don't think they need a Savior. I meet people like this all the time. I don't need a Savior. I'm pretty good. You know, people have this image. Well, I did more more good stuff than I did bad stuff. So I, I weigh out and it's good. That's not how it works, beloved. It doesn't work like this. If you've broken the law, you're guilty of what? All of the law. All of the law will land on you apart from Jesus Christ. They were sons of Abraham. They trusted in their ethnicity. They trusted in their religious performance. They were Pharisees. As Paul talks about in his pedigree, they were perfect Jews, man. What are you talking about? (laughs) We are perfect Jews, I think many are deceived this way. Jesus tells us many are deceived in this way. If you read Matthew 7, you know, you remember those guys that were bragging about their religious resumes and what will Jesus say to them? I don't know who you are. Right? I say it to you all the time. It always comes back to relationship. It's always about relationship. If you don't know Jesus, then you you're not saved. You're not a Christian. It's a relationship. Is there a relationship going on? Is the relate it's not, you know, Christianity is not voodoo. It's not magic. you, You don't get to cite an incantation and it's all good. You enter into relationship and then you follow, right? These are the words of Christ. If I'm wrong, come tell me and I'll change my sermon. But if I'm preaching the truth, then I hope we will take heed and listen Jesus says in Mark 2.17, I did not come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners. Right? It's why He came. He came for you. (laughs) Not because you're righteous. Because you need a Savior and so do I. That's why He came. For those who would be willing to come to Him that they might have life. You guys know the, the story Jesus tells in Luke 18. You remember the Pharisees praying to Himself? He trusted in himself, the text says, and he was praying to himself about how good he was. And he's he's so glad he's not like this tax collector here who can't even, you know, uh, he's unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven. And he's beating his breast and he's saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So what does God want from you? Religious pride or brokenness? Well, if you have any sense of who God is and who you are, you know, religious pride's absolutely worthless. You humbly come to the One who offers salvation. Jesus cannot save the unrepentant self-righteous. It is logically absurd. It is contrary to the nature and Word of God. They will die in their sins. It is the Word of God. If you're trusting in your religion, you will die in your sins. The second trait of a man determined to die in his sins is worldliness, verse 23. And he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. We've touched on this many times, but I'm gonna, we've got some new folks in the church and I want to just cover this ground briefly again. When Adam and Eve sinned, they forfeited dominion to, to Satan. We know what the Bible says about Satan. He is the lowercase g God of this world. He is the lowercase r ruler of this world. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 1 John 5.19 Jesus will tell the Pharisees next week, I think, or the week after... That, you know, you can't hear me because you're of your father the devil. If you look further into the New Testament, we see that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Whoever wishes to be the friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Uh, 1 John 2, Do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of God is not in him. What's he talking about? He's talking about the God-hating, God-rejecting ideologies of the world. It's what you hear 24-7 from the media, right? From the politicians, right? From academia, from the culture at large. We don't need God. Just a little more education and we'll be on top of it here. We'll get all the world's problems resolved. We just need a little more education. This is what I always hear anyway. I don't know if you hear that often. When he says you're of the world, it means. here's what it means you actually love the world more than you love God. That's what it means. And, and you can do a personal inventory right here in your own mind, right? Right here in your heart. You know where your affections run to. You know what your affections run to, right? Do they run to God? Preeminently? Or is God maybe down... Listen, if God's down here, he's no, you're nowhere with God, right? He cannot be here, right? Right? It cannot be. You can't. Jesus Christ is a passionate God, and you cannot walk with Him if you are lukewarm. It's what we're studying with the young adults. Which, by the way, we're going to stay in that chapter. We didn't really talk about a whole lot of it. You know, we got into some other stuff, and that was good. Uh, But we're going to stay in the. Just FYI, we're going to stay in the lukewarm chapter. Okay. So you can't be lukewarm and go with Jesus. You can't do it. Now, you can be religious and, and, and be lukewarm, but you can't walk with Christ and be lukewarm. It's an oxymoron. It doesn't work. It does not work. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Jesus cannot save the unrepentant lover of the world. It is biblically absurd. It is theologically absurd. If you love the world, Jesus is saying to you tonight, you will die in your sins. So you do the inventory. You do the inventory. What is your preeminent love? I'll just ask you, what is your preeminent love? You go home and you figure it out. I know most of you already know. (laughs) I know most of you already know. There may be some here that are not quite sure. The third trait of a man determined to die in his sins is that his willful unbelief. Verse 24, I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. So, men are rebellious and arrogant and blasphemous and thankless. This is what God says about the natural man. But in His great mercy, God Holds out the offering of salvation. You can see it right there. He says, Unless you believe. In, in the New King James or in the King James, it says, If you don't believe, the, 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 the offer is on the table. Do you want it? Right? Do, do you want God or do you want eternal death? This is not a hard decision, at least to me. I don't think it's a hard decision. What do you want? <clears throat> what do you want? And we know that, we talked a little bit about it last week. We know that all unbelief is willful because men know. I'll just read it to you again Romans 1, 18 to 20. Men suppress the truth. The truth, God has written the truth in every man's heart. It's in his heart. He knows it, it's in his mind. He knows it. That which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. They are without excuse. So any unbelief is always willful unbelief. Okay? When you're witnessing to your friend and they're not believing you, you understand what's going on. They're pushing down the truth. They're pushing down the truth that they already know is true. But they're pushing it down. But you love them. You share truth with them. You pray for them. You build a relationship with them and you just keep sowing those good seeds in their life. But how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Hebrews 2, 3 says... Jesus cannot save one who is willful in their unbelief. They will die in their sins. It is biblically absurd, theologically, spiritually, logically absurd. It's contrary to God and His Word. God is sovereign, but man is responsible. Man must respond in faith. He must do it. He must do it. He must follow Jesus. He who follows Me will have the light of life. The fourth trait of a man determined to die in his sins is willful ignorance. Verse 25, And so they were saying to Him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? Right? Right? He's just been saying it and saying it and saying it. We've been talking about it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to know the truth. They keep saying He's from from Galilee. He can't be the Messiah. How many times have we said it? All they had to go do was was check out the the birth registry in Bethlehem. His name is there. Right? Um, So... This is a mocking question. Who are you? Really, the question is, who do you think you are? Well, we've already covered this ground with the Pharisees, right? You go back to to, uh, John chapter 5. Jesus told them, John the Baptist bore witness of me. My Father verbally bore witness of me at my baptism. My works bear witness of me. My words bear witness of me. The Scriptures bear witness of me. You know, unbelief and ignorance is indefensible... And that's how it will be for every human being who stands before God. Ignorance is an indefensible plea. You know He's there. I know He's there. We all know that He is there. But these men are like most of humanity. Don't confuse me with the facts. I just want to live in my little make-believe world. Don't talk to me about ultimate questions. I, 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 I'm too busy, you know, posting my latest trip on Facebook. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I, I, there's nothing wrong with that. But I mean, it's like, you get the sense that that's more important for some than, than you know, investigating the ultimate questions of life. We saw it, John chapter 3. Men love. Jesus cannot save one who embraces willful ignorance. They will die in their sins. It's biblically, theologically, spiritually absurd that Jesus would save such a man or woman. And then we summarize here real quick verses 26-29. to Jesus is just saying, I am the Father of one. He keeps saying this in multiple different ways. Verse 26, What I hear from the Father I speak in the world... Verse 28, I do nothing on my own initiative but speak what the Father taught me. Verse 29, he who sent me, uh, who he has sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. I always do what is pleasing to him. Verse 28, Jesus says, When you lift me up, you will know that who I am, the tetagrammaton, I am that I am. Okay? So, when you lift me up, what's He talking about? The crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension. But Jesus keeps alluding to the fact, one day all will acknowledge Him, and they will. Paul affirms it, right? I think it's in Philippians. Um, Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every man already knows it. Ultimately, every man will confess it. Even the damned will confess it. Okay? Even the damned will confess that Jesus is Lord. Why? Because He is. MacArthur says it like this, John MacArthur, another famous American preacher, for man who dies in his sins, his immediate and first realization as a dead man will be that Jesus Christ is God. So in many so-called churches these days, you probably wouldn't hear a sermon like this. But you know what? I've told you many times, I love God first and I love you second. So I have to have integrity with the Word of God, I have to have integrity with Him, and then I have to love you enough to to tell you what He says. And God willing, you'll have people in your life that you love enough that you'll t- tell them what, what He says about dying in your sins. You must have a Savior. I don't care how religious you are. I don't care how moral you are. I don't care how good you think you are. You must have Jesus Christ. This is the message of the Bible. So, what's at stake every time the gospel is preached? Everything. (laughs) People critique me. They say, Jim, you get too excited, man. You scream and you holler. And Karen sometimes will say, Man, you really screamed a lot tonight. And it's like, you know, it's just who I am. It's just like everything forever. Right? Everything forever. Karen. Everything forever. So, my job is to always remind you of that. Because there's a, there, there might be more than one. There might be a few here that, that have this unfinished business with God, right? It's unfinished business. I've been religious. I've been in the church, but I've never given myself away. I've, n- I've never entered into that relationship. I've never believed in such a way that, that I'm eating and I'm drinking and I'm following. So it's an invitation to those of you who have not done this yet. My mom used to say to me a lot because I was a punk, She would say, Jim. She called me Jimmy Jr. I hated it. Okay, nobody can say this, but but Karen. Um, And I hate it when she says it. She would say, you have nobody to blame but yourself. And this is what God will say to anyone who stands before him. You have nobody to blame but yourself. If you did not come to me, based on the knowledge I made available to you, you have no one to blame but yourself. That's the message of the Bible. It really is, beloved. And look at verse 30. Many came to believe. Finally, we're seeing some people. I think we saw a couple of chapters ago, we saw a handful believe, but some people are believing. How are they believing? Tell me from the text. How are they believing? By the words he spoke. Guess how people are going to believe in your orbit? By the words you speak. Yeah, I heard a guy say earlier today, you know, uh, sometimes you you watch a guy and and you watch people in your life and and the the quality of their life, it's attractive. And you talk to them about it and you realize they're a Christian. So people see the quality of Christ in your life, but the, the other thing too is you need to be speaking it. God will save people through your words. In the world. Yes, Jesus Christ is God. He's omnipotent. He can do all things. Uh, but not as philosophers remind us, the logically impossible or absurd things, or as theologians remind us, not contrary to his character or his word. And he cannot save anyone who chooses to remain willfully ignorant, who chooses to be unbelieving, who chooses to be worldly, and who chooses to be self-righteous, they will die in. Their sins. This is the Word of God. And I'm just going to close with, um, you know, the thing I love to say Isaiah 65. Listen to this beautiful verse. God says, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me, I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, Here I am. This is what God says to the world Here I am. And then you buttress that up against Ezekiel thirty-three eleven. God says, As I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Why then will you die? So we offer the Gospel, right? I offer it to you. And you go out in the world and you offer it to everyone in your orbit, right? They have an insurmountable problem. It's the same problem you have, the same problem I have. God's holy and we're not. But we have a Savior, beloved. We have a Savior. His name is Christ Jesus. And He died for us. Don't let it be common in your life. Let it drive you. Let it drive you, right? To be bold and courageous. To be a good steward of the truth and all the gifts God's given you he's given you everything you have how are you using it is it for yourself or is it for him so a great message a strong message it's mostly red words so if you're don't get mad at me okay it's mostly red words okay if you have any questions please don't hesitate to call me let's pray together Lord, thank You that You not only reveal Yourself, You reveal ourselves to us. Thank You for the warning, Father. And thank You for a Savior. We love You. Every born-again Christian in this room loves You. We love You with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we fail miserably at times to exhibit that. But Lord, Your grace and mercy is bigger than my sin and stupidity. So Lord, we we ask that You shower down Your goodness and Your mercy and Your kindness and Your love and Your grace. For we are in desperate need of such. we know You're a promise keeper. (laughs) We know that Your Word is good. We know that Your work is finished. We know that we are Yours and it can never change. As Romans 8 tells us. Help us, Father. Help us to be disciples this week. One week at a time. One day at a time. Help us to be Your people. Help us to sow good seed. Convert those around us by Your Spirit through the the, 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 the seeds that we plant as we speak the Word. We ask these things in Your wonderful and matchless and beautiful name. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.